everybody. Welcome to today's One Million by One Million podcast. We are talking to Canal Partners, Todd Belfer. Todd, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us about Canal Partners. What is the focus of the firm? How big is the fund? What size investments do you make? Where are you based, etc.? I started Canal Partners nine years ago because I saw a need in the Southwest to fund early-stage software companies um, that didn't have access to capital and, more importantly, human capital, the ability to help these guys uh, and women grow. So we, I started the company nine years ago. We fund software companies that are doing a million in revenue. <laughs> Uh, that's recurring revenue. We only fund SaaS companies, software as a service. And a million dollars of recurring revenue in their first four years of life and have not done any institutional financing before. And we are in five geographies now. We're in Colorado, Atlanta, Southern California, and Arizona. Okay. And how big is the fund? We do not have a fund. It's mostly uh, the money from the partners, and then we have uh, about 20 or 30 LPs that participate on a deal-by-deal basis. So we set up special purpose LLCs for each individual investment, and we have put about $20 million of capital to work over the last nine years. And what is a typical deal size? One to $3 million. One to $3 million, okay. And, and what... Is the background of the quote unquote human capital that you mentioned yourself and your partners who are, um, who you say are helping these companies grow? What is the resource pool in terms of human resources? Sure. Sure. It starts with my partner and myself, and then we built a pretty deep bench of uh, venture partners within the firm. But I'll start with my partner, Jim Armstrong. He is the founder and former CEO of JDA Software, a mm-hmm. billion-dollar billion sure. software company in the supply chain inventory management space. And mm-hmm. myself, I started a HR payroll company back in the early 90s called Employee Solutions and grew that to over $100 million in revenue before we sold it. And uh, I've also developed and started a couple of software companies, one being NetTime that we sold to Paychex, uh, four years ago, and then we have a pretty deep bench of venture partners, of former CTOs, former founders, former CFOs, VP of sales. We got about eight people on the bench, mostly in Arizona. We got a few in Atlanta and a couple in San Diego, and then we kind of use that bench based on the type of opportunity or company and what their needs are. Sometimes okay. the needs financial, sometimes the, the needs are more on the technical side. So based on their problems, we will put in uh, the right person. So double click down on um, the stage for me. You said million dollar ARR in the last four years. Uh, did I get that right? Or are you saying that it has to have the company has to have reached a million dollar ARR? in a maximum of four years of existence. Help help me understand the details of what what right. you like to fund in stage-wise. Right. We like to invest in a company that's in its first four years of life. 
mm-hmm. companies been around for 10 years were, were really not interested. So we're mm-hmm. looking for companies that have been only been around for five years or less and okay. have $80,000 a month of MRR. Okay. So and, um, and we'll look back six months. So if you have $80,000 and growing every month of $80,000 of MRR, then we're, you, you check the box where you meet the criteria for us. Got it. What types of trends are you seeing in your deal flow right now? I mean, SaaS, yes, B2B SaaS, yes, but where uh, where are you seeing the activity? Boy, there's activity everywhere. Um, there's a, just a tremendous amount of capital out there right now. We're, we're seeing. I'm actually more interested in the deal flow. What are you seeing in terms of ventures that are interesting and that are hitting your criteria, and 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 why are they interesting? Well, we are just B2B software, um, and like I said, most dollars of AR. So we don't see consumer deals. And you know, I'm asking what is what are the specifics of the trends within the B2B SaaS space? I am asking a very specific question. Okay, well, the trends uh, tend to be more subsets of bigger problems, and I'll call them feature sets. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the big ideas have been solved already. There's, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of HubSpot sales forces out there, Marketos, that have solved big, big problems. Now what you're yep. seeing is you're seeing subsets and feature sets that companies are created around. And we will still fund those, but they're much, much smaller markets, and the exits are much smaller than the big ideas. So I think it's important to know that we're not going to create a hundred more sales forces in our lifetime because the big ideas have been solved and that playing field has been won. Now we're looking at feature sets for different business problems, and a lot of those get gobbled up by strategics trying to round out their product suite. That's why the sales force is so inquisitive and some of these other companies. Very good. I'm I'm in agreement with you by and large. And um, let me then parse what you said. You're talking about one to three million dollars of investment in a company that is doing one million annual revenue run rate. What is the calculation here? Are you going to exit the company with that capital infusion? Let's say with a maximum of one to three million dollars capital infusion, you're looking for an exit already, or are you expecting that company to go through another round of financing and still exit for a relatively smaller amount of money? What, how do you think about deals? Well, my partner and I are from the school of you build your business from your own customers and your own revenue. So. We built our businesses in the 80s and 90s before there was a big venture capital market. And we didn't take on a lot of venture capital to build our software companies. So our philosophy yep. is the one to three million dollars should get these companies to a place where they're cash flow neutral. And mm-hmm. at that point, we may decide to do another financing, but that's really um, that's an elective for us. It's up, it's up to us at that point if we want to put more gas on the company and kind of put the metal down a little bit, the, the pedal down to accelerate sales 
sometimes we will go into a negative position if the growth rate is above the model, above the expectations. We have a company now that we just funded. We actually are in a position now where we're burning 200000 a month, mm-hmm. but that company is also growing 300% a year. Uh, so we don't mind burning capital as long as the growth rate supports that. But if a company's not growing at least triple digits, we're going to get that company to a break-even or close to break-even situation. And what kind of exit expectations are you working with for your numbers to work? What is, what is the exit um, assessment? The, ex, the exit expectations for us uh, are between six and ten times our investment. Um, and the only way we can accomplish that is without doing multiple rounds of finance. I know, exactly. This is why I'm going into the details of this uh uh, yeah. Question. Out of 15 companies that we funded, we've only done follow-on rounds in four of them. And usually that is because the company has not performed and they need additional mm-hmm. capital and we're not ready to shut down the company. So the, the, the usual suspects of the companies that need more capital are the ones that don't perform to the model, to the budget and need additional capital to pivot or change direction a little bit and keep keep the lights on. The ones that blow through the budget um, typically don't need more capital, and those guys are just, like you said, up to the right. They're just off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of times they don't even spend the money we gave them. We just sold an investment in Atlanta where we gave them $2 million uh, three years ago, and they they didn't even spend that money. That money literally mm-hmm. just sat in the bank because they kept beating budget every single month. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would say 25% of the companies need additional funding, and that's usually because they haven't performed to budget and to plan. And what um, is your TAM requirement for the scale of money that you want to put in, the type of investments that you're talking about? What is the minimum TAM that you are looking for to participate? Um, minimum of $100 million. Um, okay. You know, but we, we don't mind playing in smaller markets. We've had investments in the physical therapy market, which is a couple hundred million dollars uh, or less. We've had uh, investments in the veterinarian space, in subsets of the veterinarian space which, yep. are, again, is a couple hundred million or less. So we, we actually prefer to play in markets that are under a billion dollars. Um, we just think there's less competition. We think there is um, – it's usually a newer space. And a lot of times we're competing against Excel, uh, pen and paper, or just old clunky software that doesn't do exactly what it needs to do to solve the problem at hand. So – we look, yeah. we look for smaller markets. So one of your companies we have covered extensively, that's WebPT, which you just mentioned, the physical therapy uh, SaaS company. Um, can you actually give us a bit more details from your point of view of how you looked at that uh, investment opportunity? What are the mathematics of that? And how did you, you know, I know you have already sold a portion of that to private equity, how did the, how did that all uh, play out? 
That is correct. We are out of WebPT uh, as of this year, 2017. In WebPT, they were about $75,000 a month. And an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were in their third year of business, or actually late in their second year in business. And we saw a market where the majority of the physical therapists were using Excel or pen and paper. They weren't on software to run their business. And we saw an opportunity to come in with a really simple product and turn the market from pen and paper Excel to a SaaS solution with, uh, with just some marketing and, and some education. And that's kind of what we did. You know, we did compete a little bit against some old software companies that have been around for 20 years, but there weren't any new SaaS companies going after that market trying to win that space. And that's why we like that company so much. We thought it was a solution where they can make a decision within one day and they could be live within within a week after they make yep. a decision to buy the, buy the product. Um, that's and how much did you put in? We put in $900,000. Oh, total. Total. And, that's and that company needed. Yeah. That company went to significant revenue with that uh, capital infusion. Correct. That 900000 took them to $18 million in revenue before they took on additional equity. And um, are you comfortable discussing what kind of an exit you engineered with that company to give us some perspective uh, on how you look at deals? Yeah. I can't give you the uh, exact numbers, but we, we made a little under 20 times our money in, uh, mm-hmm. in what was that, seven years. Mm-hmm. It was, it was our best, it was our best investment so far. Best investment for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about geography. So you have, um, you mentioned you were uh, operating in about five geographies. What are the dynamics of these geographies? I know WebPT is in Arizona. Um, what are the dynamics of the Arizona market right now? Are you seeing a lot of deal flow? Are you seeing, um, any particular types of deals? What what is going on in Arizona? I see a lot of healthcare deals in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's specific to Arizona or yeah, in the country. A lot of healthcare deals. Um, we see a lot of B two C deals. A lot of a lot of. But you don't do B two C. We we don't see yeah we don't do B two C. I I think. For some reason, and maybe it's because uh, Mayo Clinic and some of the other leading medical institutions are in Arizona, um, we see a lot of doctors starting B2B uh, and B2C software companies in healthcare. So you just had Healthiest You that got sold to Teladoc, was a Phoenix-based company. Um, probably half dozen telemedicine companies in Phoenix. And mm-hmm. then a whole slew of physicians have started uh, analytics companies and consumer health companies in Phoenix. Interesting. Very interesting. So I would say and what about the other geographies that you're in? Are there trends that are um, worth highlighting in yeah, Colorado or anywhere else? It's where success has been in that market. So we're in Atlanta. We've done five investments in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. Atlanta, I call it the CRM marketing automation capital of the world. That's where Exact Target started. That's where Pardot started. 
Um, that's where the first CRM ever started, Doc Systems, in the 70s. So marketing automation and uh, CRM, a lot of subsets of that in Atlanta, like dozens and dozens. And what's, uh, what's interesting in these companies, I mean, CRM is a very, very mature market. So uh, what is funding worthy in this stage of the game? You know, when you have so many people with domain knowledge in those segments, they're always thinking of something new that hasn't been invented yet, and they go after it. Um, we just sold, uh, actually last week, a company in Atlanta that is in the call analytics space. So think web analytics, but for the caller, for the person calling uh, from their smartphone, from either an ad, an offline ad, an online ad, doing all the analytics from the caller and the ad. That, that space didn't exist six years ago, and that was created in Atlanta, again, the hub of marketing automation and CRM. There's just, I think, a lot of, there's a lot of human capital there in that space from Pardot and the exact target and all these companies that have had massive success. And mm-hmm. a lot of these executives leave and they start something else. Yeah, sure. And I, and I think you see that, you know, in, in all areas, really. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and there are different uh, types of, Hubs like in Utah, there is a lot of analytics just because that's where Omniture uh, came from, and and that has created the same kind of dynamic. There is a lot of big data and analytics type stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. So we see in Atlanta, we've seen a lot of marketing. We've had two marketing automation companies there, and then we've had this call analytics company there. Uh, Phoenix, we kind of see a blend of a lot of a lot of things, um, and in San Diego, we probably see more uh, companies coming from the life science slash healthcare space. There, mm-hmm. so I just think it depends on where you are. But the reason we choose these geographies is a that's where our bench our bench is in those geographies, yeah. and then also we don't see a lot of early stage million to three million dollars of capital and million dollars of ARR companies. We compete against angel networks. We compete against family and friends. We compete against some seed funds. Mm-hmm. Um, but very rarely do we see venture capital funds or small private equity funds competing against us at the level we play. Yeah, well, I think the big determining factor, which I like a lot in your in how you're playing this uh game is that uh, willingness to play in the smaller TAM markets and the VC funds are still mostly looking for the very large TAM and ignoring the niche and I, I kind of agree with what you said is that in, in in a large portion of B2B SaaS that is the reality is that the big problems are solved so there are a lot of niche problems that you have to do in a very capital efficient way and exit relatively early and not build, not try to build unicorns. So unicorn mania still is very active in, in the venture, traditional venture markets, certainly in Silicon Valley and in some other major markets. But I think the niches have a lot of potential and, and I, I think it's, it's a very smart way to play the uh, investment game the way you're doing it. 
the last the last company we funded in San Diego in the vet space, their TAM is probably about a hundred million dollars right now in the space they play in. And I think we were the only venture firm left at the table that they were talking to because the other ones all left because a hundred million dollars or less for uh for their market was too small for them to make an investment. And mm-hmm. we, we took the risk and made the investment and we think we can build a twenty million dollar company in that space mm-hmm. and make a lot of money. But yeah. the other venture yeah. folks thought that was too small. Yeah. Anything else that you want the entrepreneurs in our community to know about working with you? One thing we see which we wish entrepreneurs and founders would do more of is really understand their market. Not just the TAM, but understand what it takes to go to market to sell the product. Yeah. I think a lot of people believe their own story and their own belief that it's easy to build a product and go to market, but to understand who you're really competing against. Are you competing against Excel or pen and paper, or are you competing against other cool SaaS companies that have a similar product? So I, I think before they go raise money and hire a bunch of people, it's important to like get a subset of customers to really understand who, who they're selling to and how they can win. Um, even if it's six customers, eight customers, just some mm-hmm. number of customers that are referenceable that they can really say, look, we got six customers that like our product, they're saving time, they're saving money, they're improving their operations of their business by using our software. Um, even six, we, we yeah. take that as... And, and you know, one thing we emphasize a lot on in our program is uh, to really understand the sales cycle, like who is the buyer? Um, in those six or eight customers, what is the process of actually selling? Whom do you need to convince? What what is the what are the criteria based on which people buy? So that's I mean it's important to understand how long will it take you to sell? What is the sales process? What is the repeatable sales process? We emphasize a lot on that. That's important. We we funded a company in Phoenix a couple of years ago that was going they were going after hundred thousand dollars sales. That was their average sale was a six-figure ARR, and they realized that they needed six to seven different people at these companies to approve the sale. Yes. Now they're going after ten to twenty thousand dollar ARR deals, and their sales cycle went from a year to thirty days. Yes. So, and they had a pivot. And those kinds of optimizations yield great dividends, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather sell 10 of those than one six-figure deal. More valuable. Yeah. Very good. Well, great talking to you, and hope we'll uh, have a chance to work with you more closely in due course. Thank you to those who are listening. If you want to come to one of our free mentoring roundtables on a Thursday morning, please go to 1M by 1M dot com the website and look for free public roundtables and register to either pitch or attend and we hope to see you soon and uh, if you are listening to the show on a regular basis and enjoy it please review it on itunes thank you very much for being here see you soon